very, very exciting. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to have a three-part series on a topic that's come up a lot recently. And it's what the game called Winners Win and Losers Lose, right? We're in a no-excuse it's not free, right? We're in a no excuse um, zone, right? And we have independently wealthy. John Hansen, in my opinion, every single person in the United States is independently wealthy because this is the richest country in the history of mankind. $100 trillion economy for reference. Russia's one of the great powers, Joe Biden said, right? They're 1.7 trillion. We've had, now with the infrastructure, we're going on 11, 12 trillion dollars in stimulus. And one of the reasons uh, people talk about the national deficit, and one of the reasons that for right now, things go down uh, quickly, but I have an MBA, I have clients that, you know, $20, $30 million net worth, right? And the reasons deficits don't matter, that's what we have to think, John Hansen. It's because we have a strong military and we have the strongest, as a result, we have a strong banking system. So all the corrupt generals all over the world, the only place they can trust to put their money in, whether it's Putin, whether Saddam Hussein, whether Fidel Castro, it doesn't matter. Or if they're enemies of the United States, they all have their money in the Western United States banking system. So then we take that money and parlay it to contribute into being the richest country in the history of the world. So I hate to say this, but it's true. Regardless of level of education, your background or whatever, you really have to not be organized. You really have to mess up to not be successful in this country. Not easy. Shouldn't be given to you because you'll feel better if you work for something versus being given something. I already have John Hanson knocking. <laughs> so thank you. It's been phenomenal. Uh, I really get excited when we get to mind melt and collaborate with each other to make ourselves and other people money, right? Every single, highest, best use of your time, every single podcast, every single meeting has to have a purpose in and out. So the purpose of this podcast is threefold, right? Uh, business knowledge that you can take actionable steps to make money after you finish listening to us right now. But salesmen, think short term. Business men and women think long-term. Higher level thinking is long-term thinking. So it gives you uh, information that has worked for us. Doesn't mean it's gonna help in the future, but it does set up a very, very good baseline. Number two, it's, we are in a mental health crisis in this country. We see it with Simone Biles in the Olympics, uh, but it's huge. Almost everybody has gone through some sort of trauma regardless of level of income, anything else, you've gone through a traumatic event. 20% of people have not, but 80% have, right? 
and then a financial first aid kit because certain things like a 401k is an absolute scam and that should have been perpetrated on the American public. So you're going to learn uh, financial first aid. That, that's, that's the purpose. Now, the outcome has been that our sports bending podcast for two years, nobody has it, 100% transparent, like buying a stock with a perspective and all the details of stock market. Two years in a row, 65%. That means that each year you have 500% ROI, which means you actionable steps that you could have made five times as much money if you had listening. But give a man a fish, feed him for a day. Teach the man to fish. You teach him for a lifetime. So we, we showed you the steps of the scissors science used by the big Fortune 500 companies and probability theory, actionable steps. That's why is the MBA. We listen to any of these podcasts. You're getting an MBA from Warden without paying the $120,000 a year, but it's more practical than an MBA for Warden because I took a restaurant in Pinellas Park Quarter, took an $8,000 investment and sold it for $800,000. Six years later, after the restaurant, paid for my life and paid for a fun uh, late 20s to early 30s. So what are your first thoughts, uh, John? And thank you so much for joining me on this uh, journey. And you've added a lot of value to me. So I really have to thank you. Thank you, John. My pleasure. I, I always leave our conversations fired up and inspired and motivated <laughs> to hit things hard next week. It's a great way to go into the weekend. You know, taking momentum in rather than just kind of like crashing into the weekend. It's interesting that you say, so what's on my mind? And you mentioned Simone Biles. And I can't think of a better way to transition into what we was on both of our minds when we talked about things we wanted to cover as we had this ongoing series. And winning, like sports, academics, business, uh, parents, ourselves, we all apply to ourselves, I think, a somewhat flawed right. mission of what winning actually is. Right. And I thought it would be helpful to, because in life, measuring how you're winning in life, we're terrible about doing this. We're terrible about comparing ourselves to others. Right. And somehow that's the measurement of how well we're doing. Right. And I have this saying that says that um, other people's success is an illusion because the only reality we can fully know is our own. Right. But if that's the case, then we need to stop comparing ourselves and we need to really examine, well, what is winning in the first place? Secondly, what's a healthy definition or definitions to apply or principles to apply for how do you win life? Right. Because we know that uh, our advertising, our economy does such a great job of advertising. It right. does too good of a job of advertising because right. what it does is it projects on us what we should, what we think we should have. The keeping up with the Joneses has been going on for centuries right. and as long as we've been able to advertise it's been going on so this keeping up with the joneses is the opposite believe it or not this is the opposite of winning it's not what winning at life looks like and if you talk to anyone who's highly successful whether they are famous or not doesn't matter I've had the privilege of interviewing scores of business leaders uh here in the state of ohio that people have probably mostly never heard of yeah. but highly successful people uh, high net worths and it was interesting that in so many of them, there were a lot of things in common 
And one of those was they had to establish for themselves what winning looked like. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on, you know, winning. Uh, what's a healthy definition? Uh, what are some traps people need to be aware of? Oh, yeah. Not fall into and, and apply the wrong definition of winning to themselves. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, Josh. Well, this is going to be a three-part series because uh, we create shortcuts, right? We create shortcuts in people's names. We're always looking for the most efficient way. However, there's some things in life that are complicated. So uh, one of the things I'm proud of, of all the podcasts we do, horse racing, true crime, really proud of that. Uh, because the podcast format, you have time for people who like detail and for people who like to form their own opinions, right? Yes. And whatever your opinion is, right? We have a baseline for facts, what's evidence, all that. But in our current culture, if somebody watches CNN, Don Lemon, or Chris Coma, they're going to get 50% of what's going on. They go turn on Fox, they listen to Sean Henry and Tucker Carson, they're going to get 50% of the opposing view. And I had an independently wealthy lawyer, Bernard Wolfman, who worked with Hugh Coblehouse, who was the owner of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And he was a 50, independently wealthy, but his net worth at that time, let's say 25 years ago, was about $10 million. He didn't have to work another day in his life, but he was a very nice man. He was at the local entrepreneur academy, St. Pete, Florida, when I had the restaurant. I had a Pinellas Park, 10 people was close. And he says, Josh, if you ever have a problem, discuss it with five different attorneys because each attorney is going to give you 20% of the truth. <laughs> so in each podcast, we go detail from A to Z and that's what we're going to do with winning. You're talking two guys who have won. You know, the, uh, our combined age is a lot of people who die. A lot <laughs> you, you're, uh, we thank you for your service in the military. How many people have died in the military. How many people have been disarmedly discharged from the military? How many people go to the military and all they do is sweep for 30 years, right? You had an important job in the military. So you've done a lot of winning, right? You have successful marriage. You work on successful winning. That's a lot of winning. Uh, another part of winning is, we'll get to it, uh, sustainability, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, when my mother passed away. And that's the reason I sold the restaurant because my mom passed away and I, went into, I kept hearing her voice. So before that, uh, I went into a deep depression and after two weeks, you know, I celebrated in the restaurant that was, we talked about this before the podcast started about uh, having a business that can run by itself. So at that point, the restaurant ran by itself. And I'm proud. One of the most things I'm proud of is that every single person that works at a restaurant now owns a restaurant. That is what cool. they learned, you know, we, we were able to teach there. Cool. So I don't have any kids, but I have a hell of a legacy. <laughs> All right. Alexia well, Wolf as well. And I randomly walked in the restaurant, didn't tell anybody I was coming. 
and uh, you ha- I had watershed moment, sort of like somebody poured a big bucket over my head where I was proud of myself. And I was also ashamed of myself at the same time. So in finance, what's complicated something is two more things. So winning is very, very complicated. So I walk into the restaurant randomly. Everybody gets up. It gives me a standing ovation. Oh. <laughs> that to me was winning. And then I learned that I was putting too much attention to the presentation of the food, parking, and you put culture and then personal culture, right? Mm-hmm. I had uh, a lady who came in for two years in a row and sat on the right hand, actually the left hand side. And when she first came in, she had a Confederate flag. She's wearing a Confederate flag in Cuban restaurant. Everybody thought she was racist. And I said, hey, stop, right? Uh, don't judge a book by its cover. She ordered black bean soup for two years in a row. After two years, she says she taps in and shows she's circuit. I talked to you. I'm like, man, can you talk to me? Right? Of course, we've been waiting you to say something for two years. <laughs> and she says that I just want to thank you, right? Because I'm going through chemo and I've been doing chemo uh-huh. two years in a row. And after chemo, I come to your place and I get black bean soup, and my family's overly nice overprotected me and they treat me different because I have cancer now, terminal cancer. And this is the only place I find peace is your restaurant. Wow. So what is winning, man? It's a lot of things. So we're going to go for me to see. So from a business standpoint, being able to have that once in a, to me, her statement was like winning the lottery. That's just, that's just the way I'm yeah. raised. You yeah. got to accept that other people are different. I have a client, $30 million liquid. Mm. He treats his employees horribly. Mm. He tells me, Josh, I don't give a crap about any of my employees. I don't give a crap about my wife. I like my mistress better. I hate my kids. F my kids. The only reason you're here is to make money. To make me money. Right? (laughs) So... I didn't immediately walk out because I felt I had a mission to the employees there. Yeah. To and you talk about selling, I had to influence that owner that it was in his financial, purely financial, his interest, so he can afford another mistress, right? So he could pay his kids not to talk to him to treat his employees better. So winning. That's why it's a three-part series. Because <laughs> yeah. winning is not as simple as it is. The game talks to a rap. Winners win and losers lose. And it's true. It really is. Because we're also not only just going to talk about winning, we're going to talk about and defining our definition. We're going to, between John and I, we're going to have uh, four different ways of looking, more than four different ways of looking at winning, but we have multiple ways of looking at losing. And what makes this podcast great is that Tucker Carlson and Sean Hanley, on the other side, Don Lemon and Chris Cromo, Rachel Maddow, right? They're not offering valid, impossible truth 
in opposing views, <laughs> which you need to do in business, right? Because in business, in finance, you eliminate variables. There's only an 80% chance of probability. We talked about winning. So when you eliminate variables and covariables, you increase the outcome of the result. So the result, right, which is the purpose of the podcast, is to make a lot of money. So where, where do you want to start this on winning part one? Uh, I want to share two things real quick. One is I came across a, a life-changing uh, insight when I was writing my first book, right. uh, Follow Your Customer, Seven Ways to World-Class Service. It sold copies worldwide. But the very first chapter is a winning attitude. And I promised myself when I, when I resolved to write the book that if I ever came across a word that I thought could be rich in meaning, and I'd never right. looked it up, I've never studied it, I've just gone with what I've known for years or what somebody told me or what I thought. I'm going to pull out my bright red hardcover Webster's right. Dictionary from college days, and I'm going to find out what the definition or definitions are. Right. So when I encountered the word winning, I thought, you know, I've never looked that up. It, at first, it was like a well, no, duh, John, everybody knows what winning is. But I thought, no, I promised myself. If I thought there's a word that could have richness in its meaning, I'm going to go find out what does it all mean, potentially. So I did that for the word winning. I'm telling you, Josh, it's like the world stopped when I read this. <laughs> Not the first definition, because that yeah. was the one that everybody knows. Excelling in competition, number one, blue ribbon, gold medal, yeah. you know, coming in first, right? That's winning. That's a definition. That's one definition. But it was the second definition that changed my life. And it was one word, all caps. And when I read it, it's like I stopped breathing. It's like everything stopped. And I had three instant insights that I said, I've got to put this in a book, but I need to finish this book first. So what, what was the one word? The one word was success. If you're applying the first definition as that's what winning at life is, like we said, business, sports, uh, academia, our parents, ourselves, our peers, all have this idea of winning being uh, coming in first, right? I mean, right. Olympics are going on right now. Right. If you're uh, Ricky Bobby in Talladega Nights, you know, right. if you're not first, you're last, right? <laughs> right, right, right. That whole idea, right? right? Once I encountered that word, I thought this, this is a healthy definition for winning at life. At life, winning, winning, like you said, it's so complex. There's so many variables. You can't just slap a label on yourself or anybody else as to whether they're winning or not. No. And when I hit that definition, three things hit me at once. Number one is if you're using the wrong definition of winning, you're going to label yourself as either a winner, not likely, because there's always going to be somebody richer, faster, stronger, smarter than any of us. 100%. Right? So you're going to apply, you're most likely going to label yourself as a loser because you're not the number one, right? right? And anybody that does say that they're number one is just, it's just a mind game to try and falsely elevate themselves to help their right. needs help. Second thing was, and I keep uh, this in my office. So it's a bright blue ruler that I bought from a store that starts in wall and ends in Mart, just for a few bucks, because I wanted to remind myself of the visual thing of, I need to use my own ruler to measure my success, not somebody else's. We talked about this pre-show. Right. Uh, our perception of someone else's success is an illusion. If you got into their shoes, you'd find out, and statistics prove this, the people that we think have everything, that are happy, that are successful, peel that curtain back and you'll find that behind it, 
they're not any happier or success, more successful than you. They might have right. the stuff that you want. Right. And you're projecting. So the only reality we can fully know is our own. And the third thing is on this ruler, the smallest increment is a millimeter. And when people set goals, they are always shooting for that 12th inch. But progress is the goal, not perfection. Because if you talk to any highly successful person who is winning at life, they will tell you the 12th inch never stays the 12th inch. It always becomes the first inch of the next thing. They never yes. stop. They don't stop. They don't get content. They don't get comfortable. And so once you understand those three precepts about what winning at life, from my understanding, looks right. then you can build out some tools where you're starting with 95% of people in the world are, high, are winning at life. They're successful. Right. But, but what they're doing is they're sabotaging themselves because they're believing that I say this, Josh, too. I'm almost right. going to turn it back to you. Uh, I say this, a half truth is more believable than a full out lie because the full out lie is obviously wrong. But a half truth feels more right because there's truth blended with a lie. So the, it seems to validate the lie. Right. So if I think that I am not successful because somebody else, in my opinion, is more successful, what I've actually done is I have undermined myself by instead of realizing you are a highly successful person, the question you need to be asking is not am I winning at life, not am I winning at all, how do I win more? Because unless you're on death row, you are doing a lot of things successfully every day. People need to give themselves more credit than what they're than what the world's going to give them. Again, what their well-meaning parents themselves, business, athletics, academics—they're all great about putting labels, grades, measurements their own. We need to stop looking at that as a measurement of our, of our success, and we need instead to focus on what are we, what have we accomplished, what are we doing well, what are we succeeding at, and then go from there. Your thoughts? Uh, diversity. We hear a lot about diversity and inclusion, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. And I'm uh, the president on the board of the Orange County Diversity Council. And they mm -hmm. get the definition of diversity wrong. And you hear diversity and inclusion. And I don't believe in inclusion. I think inclusion is bad for our country mm. in a deep way. You hear see Republicans talking about inclusion and inclusion is the right inclusion that I feel, and you can tell me your opinion, John, inclusion is outworking the competition and communicating values so well that it's irrelevant whether the other individual, the other group likes you or not. You have to be included because of the value and your communication of value in the marketplace. So inclusion, I think, is a bad concept for a country. We've always been about self-reliance. We've always been about winning in competition. So you hit, like, on, I counted, like, six different things. And uh, I agree with all of them, right? So we're, we're going to get deeper into them. Uh, philosopher said, philosopher said, nothing is either a lie or a truth. It's all your point of view <laughs> <laughs> right 
in the same thing with success in winning and losing, right? Uh, my grandfather said, uh, yeah, pretty much the same way, you know, pretty much the same thing. It's, it's your point of view. Uh, and Shakespeare said it, to thy own self be true. So setting that up as a baseline, a lot of parents, right? And it's really deep into our culture, worldwide, right? Uh, set, they, they want to live vicariously to their kids, right? Oh, I want to give you what I didn't have. So they're trying to uh, create a definition of winning for you, and you're pounding up on that, and that sets up for a lot of mental health issues. Another big lie that we've talked about before in the podcast. You can do whatever's on your mind. Whatever you can do, you can, you can, no, it's not true. You might be uh, extrovert and uh, your parents set you up or you set you up to be an engineer. As an extrovert, that might not be the best job for you. Oh, I want my kid to be a doctor. I want my kid to be a lawyer. There's a lot of people that own plumbing companies. They're even billionaires. You know, what is success? Or, uh, they, three uni different universities around the world, did an anonymous poll on doctors. And it said, and this is even bad for success, society, right? This definition of success and winning. What is your motivation for becoming a doctor, mm -hmm. a medical doctor or surgeon? And each study came up with the same statistics. Close to 80% of doctors, anonymous study, right, which are the best. Uh, one was in Switzerland, one was in the United States, and the other one was in England. 80% of doctors around the world became doctors because they enjoy, they get satisfaction of telling people what to do. <laughs> and it's not a Hippocratic oath, uh. right? And it's almost like feelings, right? Uh, one thing that helps me with depression, everybody with depression is... Uh, Cognitive behavioral therapy. You kind of do it by yourself. My wife's a psychotherapist. She actually can do it. You have to have a license to do it. But my first band aid is triggering event, key thoughts and beliefs. We got to stop at feelings. You have to do the process. Guys don't like to stop at feelings. A lot of people don't like to stop at feelings. Sometimes feeling is not a word. You feel, Ugh, right? And then you give them up with a positive conclusion. Same thing with winning and success. It might not be an actual word for you. And you got to define it. But our parents, our culture, right, conspires against that. I've seen perfectly content, happy, in my mind, rich people who live on a beach on a boat. And they look like a bum. <laughs> they look like a homeless person. But you don't know who you're talking to. This person looks like a bumper might have a hundred million dollars. Right? That's their preference. And first, as long as that person is happy, they're winning in my book. But everybody conspires against that. And I'm gonna close one story, just this first part. I'd like to know your thoughts, John. One of the best podcasts we've done is with Mac Brown. Uh, not Mac Brown, Max, Max Brown. We'll get him on again. Really nice guy. And 
Uh, I told him my definition of winning, right? Me, literally, you could have killed me when they got that standing ovation at the restaurant. Hmm. I would take it as a win the whole life. Yeah. And because it didn't stop there, I took it as a learning experience of what my personal brand, my personal business is, right? Creating a little culture within my ecosystem. So Max Brown, nobody does this. He was the number one rated football player coming out of high school. NFL is a $16 billion industry. Mm. The number one Gatorade quarterback playing for Alabama, they opened up the NCAA. He's already had a million dollars. He's a millionaire. Mm. Right out of high school, number one rated high. So we had Max Brown on. And Max Brown had uh, at USC, I consider his career at USC a massive success. USC has a $10 billion with a B endowment. Wow. You know, the, on the board of trustees, his kid goes to USC, it's Bomber, right? Bomber's worth, uh, the whole board is billion dollars plus. The whole board of trustees at USC are worth a billion dollars. He goes to USC, gets a degree. Scholarship paid for at USC, four-year degree for USC. And some people are calling him a failure because uh, he was the backup quarterback. He didn't start. Some people call it a failure. Some people call me lost. I call it an amazing, incredible miracle win. <laughs> he goes to Pittsburgh. He starts. He has a great game against Rice. Guy comes in, body slams him, and gives him a career-ending surgery. And so now he's doing with his USC degree and uh, probably the economy of USC alumni. It's probably like a trillion. That's right. With a T, mm. trillion dollars, right? Jeff Bezos, who knows? There's probably a trillionaire out there that we don't know. Obviously, the Vatican and the Queen of England, right? They're trillionaires. They don't say it because they don't want people to find out where they really are and try to kill them. But they're probably trillionaires. A guy like Jeff Bezos is supposed to be a public trillionaire. He goes to LA and now he's in commercial real estate making a lot of money. And people are calling him a bust. <laughs> I, I, I call Mac Brown an incredible, very fortunate winner. What are your thoughts, John? Yes, it's all about the definitions that we apply. And what I really like about highly successful people, when you talk to them, especially the ones who aren't famous, even if you talk to the ones who were, People's opinions of them and the labels that get applied by others incorrectly don't face them because right. the labels aren't correct. Uh, they know that they are highly successful, not because they're basing it on ego or emotions or feelings like you talked about earlier, right. but they look at their results and say, no, I'm winning. Two things. Number one is the opposite of winning is not failure. It's not. The opposite of winning is giving up. Right. That, that's failure right there. It's giving up. Failure is simply what didn't work. Nobody right. faults babies for falling down and getting up again thousands of times. No, nobody faults people, boys and girls, learning to ride bikes, falling down and getting up again. These skateboarders, I don't know how many times they try these tricks. And my gosh, it looks so painful on YouTube. Some of the spills they take because they're trying to ride a railing on a skateboard, but they don't quit. Does anybody fault them for that? No. Michael Jordan missed more shots than he made. Nobody faults him at all in his career. Oprah Winfrey was told she wouldn't make it on TV. Well, she proved them wrong about that. Failure is not 
uh, at the end, Fiddler is simply figuring out what doesn't work. Same with Edison and the light bulb, right? So, and, and I too, yeah, I want to know your thoughts on this. It's also, right, being diligent. And I'm, as I get older, I'm a big fan of writing everything out and tracking it. Uh, in the in the book, Ulysses, uh, written in 1914, Irish writer, a huge book. Nobody ever reads it from front to last, maybe some, because it's tough to read. You know, I read it, put, put it in the work to read, and I'm glad I did. It really explains to me how, how the internet works, that book, even though it's a literature book. And one of the main characters, Bloom, and they still have Bloom's Day in Ireland. And what Bloom complained about, he was a chronic complainer, right? So he complained about walking from, this is, you know, let's say 1910 Ireland. He complained about walking from his house to his office. He says that there were too many distractions, too many <laughs> impressions into me. So you have to track the impressions from high school on. And my wife's a psychotherapist. She runs, she's a regional director, runs a bunch of clinics. She's the go-to person, anybody she ever works with, people say over and around, I'm never taking my kid or myself other than Anna. That's, that's my wife. This week we were talking about unresolved traumas we have as kids and in high school. That oh. You have to resolve them because they're going to nag you forever. Unresolved yes. thoughts, especially if you read and have any kind of intelligence, if you don't resolve them, they're going to nag you forever. Like I had this beautiful blonde girl in high school. You know, she used to joke around, laugh uh, for years. And then she sat next to me senior year, we laughed about, very, very beautiful, very attractive. And the next day I go to high school and learned that she went to a gas station and she put her gasoline on herself and set herself on fire. Oh. Uh, and I, you know, learned some other things that were going on, and it kind of makes sense why she did that. However, that's a trauma. I blew it off because it was high school. What do I know? But that's a trauma I've carried my whole life. Mm. Even though it's random, uh, I barely knew or really, I just knew her from class or from South Southern Public. We were friendly with each other. We, talk, we, t we traded a lot of stories throughout the years, right? Four years of high school. So she wasn't really a friend. She was an acquaintance. Mm -hmm. The fact that she took her life the way she did, when she did, when we were so optimistic about the future, what college you're going to go to, you have your life before. The fact that she did that is the trauma that I have to and everybody else, because I'm not the only one that this happened to, unfortunately. Right. You were in the military. You might have lost yeah. people when you were in the military. Those are traumas you have to resolve. Now, as far as winning... We've been that's why Shakespeare said that so true. We've been lied so much. We've been getting so many mixed messages yeah. about what winning is, and it's complicated because you have to decide what is winning yeah. and what is success for you. Because yeah. there's two sides, right? We talked about Michael Jordan, and I view Michael Jordan's a success. Because I view anybody is a success. I'm, I'm one of those. Uh, there's the other sperm competing against you. <laughs> that's the first race you won, right? Right, you won the race. Right. Yes. You won the race. 
who you are. It might get, it give you a bump on the street or the worst type of criminal. You did win at least once. Everybody's at won once. at least one time. Nobody can say, oh, I've never won. Yes, he did. Yes, he, won he the did. Sperm race. <laughs> That's how you even were born, right? Right. But there's two sides to the Michael Jordan side. And it's just you. It could be people who, who have a certain definition of morality and ethics. And they'd rather be, how many times do you, oh, I'd rather be poor middle class than be rich doing what that guy does. I, mm-hmm. I don't want to do, I don't want to pay that price to be that guy. And people all like, pay the price. And it's like, okay. True uh, people that like ethics, moral, criminals, they did not care. Uh, this week we were talking about the criminal, we discovered massive fraud. There's two kinds of massive fraud. I see massive fraud for millions upon millions of dollars where selective prosecution is implied, right? Okay. The other person gets away with stealing and they can because as a, I'm not going to mention his name, but as a, an elected official, governor of a state, uh, was currently in the, in the news recently, told me to my face, great lawyers, Good lawyers know the law. Great lawyers know the judge. Ah. And they've gotten away with uh, fraud and stealing millions upon millions of dollars, but because they know the judge, but because they paid off the FBI, they are allowed to get away with those crimes. Mm-hmm. Now it's in a major book. That's why best business book I ever read is True Dog by Phil Knight, the owner of Nike. He intentionally sent a fraudulent $1 million check. And he admits, it's almost like a confessional. He admits he did that, right? And for a lot of people, Phil Knight's a winner. Some moralists out there say he's not a winner because of the million dollar check. And, and I was just looking at as a business guy being pragmatic. As, okay, this is what I'm dealing with. This is what's going to trigger him so I can have a su- sustainable business with that person. I'm not going to, I have a simple quote Keep it simple. Right. It's not moral, not anything. It's a business one because business is clarity and, and simplicity. Uh, smart people take something complicated and make it easy. Stupid people in business make something easy and make it hard. Right? So I keep it simple. Don't do anything unethical or more, much less illegal. Creates a lot of clarity. You don't have to worry about things because you know you didn't intentionally do it anything wrong, right? right? He intentionally did something wrong and has employed a lot of people. Is it a shocker that he has a factory in China where people are committing suicide? Mm. No, because this is the way he's been from day one. He's a multi-multi-billionaire, right? And things change. In the book, when he says he's hanging out with Bill Gates, now we know about Bill Gates' relationship with Jeffrey Epstein. Now that book is dynamic. What you thought when you first read the book looks different now. So, winners financially, but are they truly winners? You decide. (laughs) Right? What are your thoughts on that? On that nuance, really, of, of winning? From macro, we'll get into specific on the next one. Yeah. 
Yeah, from, from the macro, uh, that's why you have to use your own definition. You need to stay true to that. And that can change over time. It's okay for it to change. Yeah. But you need to stay true to it while you've determined what it is. Be it to your own self, be true. You're not going to be able to have a fulfilled, happy life if you're constantly applying somebody else's life to your own. You've got to use your own ruler. Second one, and this has got to be an encouraging story for anyone. In my book, which is coming out next year, in my book, I, I highlight a person at Rio Olympics five years ago. It's the last Summer Olympics. Usain Bolt, record, third straight Olympics, 100-meter dash, gold in the men's. And I asked myself in this book, because we're looking at the definition of winning, yeah. uh, and it not being first always, gold medal, blue ribbon. I thought, you know what? I'm going to take some time and I'm going to find out who was dead last in that race. Yeah. You know who's dead last, who was dead last in that race? A guy now, five years later, in the Summer Olympics, that's one of the favorites in the 100-meter dash, Trayvon Brommel. Yeah. He set records in high school. He set records in college. He was one of two men out of the entire United States that were selected to represent their country in 2016. He won multiple races against, I think it was a total of 30 runners to get to the final, to race against the best from around the world. And the difference in time between Usain Bolt crossing the finish line and Trayvon Brommel, who was dead last, one quarter of one second, separates the fastest man in the world from the eighth fastest man in the world. And this is where it proves that advertising, media, culture gets it wrong. Because Way the wrong. question that reporters ask is not, how do you feel being the eighth fastest man in the world and racing <laughs> a historic race against Usain Bolt, arguably one of the greatest sprinters of all time? Right. Oh, their question is, how do you feel about all the work you put in and coming in last in this race? Wrong question. And the, the very best coaches, the very it's best athletes, question. The, the, very best athlete, the very best coach, they, they correct the reporters. And how the answer is, I'm proud of what we've accomplished. We're going to learn from what, um, you know, we like uh, March Madness. I love March right. Madness. They ask that same question of the coach that comes in second. How do you feel about getting all the way through March Madness and coming up short here at the championship game? And the coaches, the good ones, will always say, I am proud of what our guys have achieved. Fantastic season. We're going to learn from what, from this and apply it to next year and come back. And our goal is to get back to this championship game again. That right. is winning. Right. Rayvon Brommel, five years ago, people were happy to label him as a failure. And yet he's right. the eighth fastest freaking man in the, in the world. Right. Millions of people. Right. The eighth fastest man. That rather than looking at what they've achieved, they look at what they didn't achieve. That's what the world does. That's what culture does. That's because it's an easy label to slap on rather than seeing all that they accomplished to get to that opportunity. And so that's where you've got to have the right definition. You've got to have the right ruler, which is your own. Right. You need to have a healthy perspective on what you have accomplished and what you have achieved, because that's what's going to enable you to be happy and fulfilled and stay driven. The people that see failure as an endpoint give up. Right. And they don't give themselves the opportunity to persevere and get to the success that means more 
after you've overcome what didn't work. Those right. are my thoughts on it. So now Trayvon Brown has done exactly that. He could have given up after Rio, like dead last. Well, why even do this anymore? No, no, he's back. And now he's a favorite in the men's 100 meter dash. Whether it's because Usain Bolt is too old or not in it, doesn't matter. He persevered for another four or five years to have the opportunity again to run and represent his country. That wasn't a given either. Right. He had to stay focused and keep working at it. And that's what everybody, everybody, literally everybody can stay with it so long as they have a good idea. Now, I, I will put that asterisk there. You can't say, I'm going to sell billions of dollars worth of horse and buggies in downtown Manhattan. It's not going to happen. Uh, you, right. could, you could try your whole life. It's not going to happen. But if somebody you respect and multiple people you respect say, you've got a good idea that have no skin in the game and, and whether you succeed or not, tell you, no, that's a good idea. That, that can work. You stay with it. You stay with it until it works. Because the things that are most rewarding, and you would know this, Josh, because of your restaurant, the right. things that are most rewarding take time, take effort, take right. learning what didn't work, so that years later, if you've done it right, not only have you grown that business, but you've grown people. You have duplicated yourself. You have multiplied yourself. Right. And that is what's most fulfilling in life. Right. right. And that's the best thing of winning. Yeah. And then creating shortcuts because all the people that worked through the rest and started their own restaurant didn't have the huge torture, right? That I went through. I yes. think I created a shortcut. And 95% of restaurants fail. Yeah. And really, the number is higher when you get out of really well-financed chains yes. fail. So yes. really, that number is very minute. And the only reason we got there was because I tracked and I wrote down, literally, I learned something every day. Mm. Literally, I can track it. 365 times three, uh, year two through five. Mm. I learned something new, and the reason I had an advantage on the change is because when I decided to change something, it was in the middle of the day, smart was there the other day. It was changed in real time, and change in big corporations hard right, right. To, to turn that boat around. I yes. can turn that boat around fast. That's yep. a huge competitive advantage David has over Goliath. Yes. Right? Good book, by the way, David versus <laughs> Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah. fascinating read i finished that sometime this year that was a great book and you're spot on with that david has so many more advantages and that's what his book says we need to shift the focus off of um david versus goliath we need to stop looking at size and we need to look at agility we need right. impact we need to look right. at transformational change because that's what can happen when you're agile nimble driven right. motivated that you can achieve way more than the giants that are slowing themselves down getting in right. their own way absolutely right and none of this is easy okay no 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 Taking years to get easy, everybody point. would do it right and i went through that whole analogy that you go through in business uh the other day i did something like this and i charged a lot of money for it right and straight out of the analogy you hear the client says, man, you did that literally five minutes and you charged me $15,000 for it up front. That was fast. And I said, yeah, because it took me 30 years to learn, to learn how to do it that fast. 
Yes. There's that knowledge that anybody or attorney, anybody has. Yes. That's why. And how much of time and money and effort would he have wasted if he tried to do it himself? Exactly. Yes. So if you tried to do it yourself, it's what it might have closed down your business. And how much is that one? Yeah. Millions of dollars. Yes, right. <laughs> right. Right. Regardless of the time. Yes. So two words, right? They're complicated. One is huge and it ties in everything we're talking about. We'll do it for the next podcast. Okay. And it's a very nuanced word. It means many things to many different people. So John and I, I predict it means the same thing. But John talked about it today. And we're going to get into details. We go from macro to micro, marginal utility. As mm. an MBA, it means something technically. It means something different to a big business. It means mm. something different to an individual. But to me, being in the richest country in the history of mankind, now people have a big awareness of it. Because people are saying $10 trillion. Uh, the word T is coming into the workout. It used yeah. to be billionaire mindset. Now it's going to be trillionaire mindset. And I've known this for a long time. In the podcast we did with Graham Honecker, gift department at Butler University, a small college in the middle of Indiana, right? Where they're earned revenue. You talk about the NCAA tournament. Butler, you know, with Brad Stevens. And yep. um, the one guy who used to play for the Celtics, now he's with Charlotte. Uh, earned advertising revenue and they did not win the NCAA tournament. Right. It's over two billion dollars with a B. Wow. And their endowment's two billion dollars. And Graham just got congratulations to him. He just got I think close to 30 million dollars in gifts last year. Tax deductible, right? Great for taxes. Like Hunter Bryan's paintings. They're great for as a tax uh hedge or haven. But it's your own definition. I want to finish the thing about Michael Jordan. Uh, some people, you talk about Michael Jordan and Oprah, right? Yeah. Both are going to be billionaires. One is, and, and people have different opinions on whether they're successful or not, regardless of the money. Michael Jordan is a billionaire. He's one of the greatest basketball players of all time. Uh, but, right? Even in basketball, they say, I had NBA players tell me that Michael Jordan was great because he was rigged with the majority of the shots. And if they played defense on him, Michael Jordan, you played legitimate defense. We got a letter from the commissioner and it said on the top, don't kill the goose that's laying golden eggs. You pay real defense on him, you're going to be fine. And you might be out of the league. So nobody was playing real defense on him. The rest, he said, one time he had the ball. An NBA player told me one time he had the ball and Michael Jordan fouled him. It was a clear foul and the ref called the foul. And Michael Jordan looked at the referee. You really care about your career? You called the foul on me? So, yes, I believe he's one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But people that know a lot more about being basketball say he isn't. But he's been very successful in business. He's going to be a billionaire. However, his mental health issues, his gambling addiction, got his father prematurely killed and murdered over gambling. That Michael Jordan enabled. Is he a success? I think he's a success. Other people have a different opinion. Oprah, billionaire. She came out of nowhere. 
She was sexually abused, tortured as a kid in North Carolina. And she ends up being a billionaire, right? Some people view her as a failure because she never got married and she's never been successfully able to lose the weight to keep it off, right? I think she's a success, right? Because I think my, my definition is everybody's a success uh, other than pedophiles. I don't care how much success Jeffrey Effingham or a pedophile has, they're a complete failure in, in, my, in my book, my personal book, right? Yep. Uh, we define failure, right? Failure is quitting, right? Uh, you have not lost unless you define it yourself. Right? You're always winning. The winners win, losers lose. The word we'll discuss today, which uh, really, I'm 50 years old, and for the first 40 years of my life, I had it completely wrong, and I did not uh, really know the different flavors. This is like some things have different definitions. Uh, some things are looked differently by different people. This word has different flavors, but from a mental health standpoint, right? Uh, it has a, a specific definition, right? And it comes at an estimate, it's sabotage. And as nice as I've always been to people, as, as much money as they've given to people, time or whatever, every single business that I've encountered in my business world, somebody's trying to sabotage, which is what we're doing it on top. Every single person really, I've met my dad, he's been a minister for 61 years, would not hurt a fly. Uh, he was put in a Cuban concentration camp because he refused to stop preaching the gospel. When communists in the 60s viewed uh, religion as the enemy, right? But to solve their crime issues in the late 70s, they started legalizing uh, religion. But in the mid-60s, religion was a crime in Cuba. He kept preaching the King James Bible and it threw him in jail because it was more important the gospel in his life, you know, they would play Russian roulette with his head. And he raised his hands to heaven and said, God, please take care of my wife and kids. They're coming to see you because he really, truly to this day believes in it. But he's also told me that no matter how good you are, you get free enemies. You get true uh, fake friends and true enemies. No matter who you are, people are jealous of your success. People are jealous of your happiness. There's always somebody sabotaging. Hmm. Uh, the old joke about uh, the dad sends his kid to Wall Street. He gets a master's in finance. He goes to Wall Street. His dad calls him on his first day at Wall Street, working for Goldman Sachs. He got a good job at Goldman Sachs. And he says, well, son, how was your first day? Oh, it was great. I had a good time. It really seems like everybody's trying to get me. Everybody's out to get me. He says, son, it doesn't seem like everybody's trying to get you. Everybody is <laughs> trying to get you. So everybody, everybody experiences some sort of sabotage. Sometimes in a marriage, it's just it's divorce. There's a lot of sabotage. Then you have self-sabotage. It gets to the root of what you talk about. And self-sabotage, right? It's 
it's done in a lot of different ways, right? Overeating, right? Tanking a sale. You had a sale and you intentionally tank the sale. You didn't pay your, your bills or you made your family, your wife mad. You intentionally did something wrong against yourself or you had what John and I maybe said a flawed definition of winning and you did not want to win. You wanted to lose, right? And, when, and that's why what my wife said is so important, being sure you resolve uh, unresolved thoughts and traumas you got through, right? Uh, you have this thing called survivor guilt. That's when people intentionally sabotage their definition in success because they feel guilty. Everybody in their high school is poor or dying or got killed in an unfair fire or their dad, uh, right before he was going to get a promotion, died in a plane crash, or they came from an immigrant family, they fought tooth and nail, both parents are dead, and now he's going to get a promotion of a million dollars, and that person sabotages themselves intentionally. And that's rooted in depression. If you self-sabotage yourself, any form of it, it's rooted in depression, and number of all thoughts, right? And I would opine, right, a uh, false sense of what winning is. You know, I always think that guilt is a useless emotion, right? So you got really two forms there. I just want to sabotage. It's very real because we see it, all, we see it in the Olympics. Somebody sabotages themselves right at the end. They're about to win the race. They're about to win. Boom, it's at a time. Uh, PGA Golf. People miss a putt on purpose. They don't want to win, <laughs> right? In, in a scene, I see it in the NFL. Hugh Kohler House wrote it down and made it clear he intentionally wanted the Tampa Bay Bucks to lose and not make the playoffs because playoffs and crawl extra costs. And he was making huge profit with just the revenue share. And he admitted it in his uh, in probate paperwork. Also, uh, Hugh Culverhouse intentionally, right, gave his wife uh, $10 million. He gave each kid $15 million. He gave each of his four mistresses $20 million. So he's like my $30 million guy, right? He hated his wife and kids. Hugh Culverhouse. So intentional sabotage. It's real. People do it all the time. That's why, in my experience, the data shows that uh, 33% per of people who are homeless are drug addicts, right? Yeah. The drug industry is a multi-billion dollar to be industry. So it's a $30 billion industry because so many people out there have this deep depression and that results in self-tabotage. You see it in business. So that's part of it. And, and, and it's different degrees. Sometimes people self-tabotage in minute ways. They accumulate, right? You can mention sabotage. Uh, what's your definition? What are your thoughts on that? If we close, right? People who have a definition of winning and, and, and then they run away from it when they have multiple opportunities to win. One, one that I see real every day 
uh, is uh, in a clinic my wife works at, homeless people who are given free housing. Right, in right. In the Pacific Ocean, with all their bills paid, absolutely free, free housing in the Pacific Ocean. Yep. Free. People will die for it. The house next door is worth $20 million. And they're yep. offered that. And they decide to risk their lives and stay on the street. That's an extreme example, but it defines self-sabotage rooted in a very, very deep depression. And our results, I say our results are untrained, but I'm not an expert. My wife is. Some psychiatrists are experts on that. And also, it could be brain chemistry. It could be this, it could be that. The guy got hit on the head. Uh, Mike Webster won four Super Bowls. He died on the streets. 80% 80% of pro athletes self-sabotage. 80% of professional athletes in the last 30 years uh, either get cheated at or self-sabotage their finances. The 80% of them uh, die pro. John and I have more net worth, more wealth than 80% of former NBA, NFL, and NHL athletes. If we've watched on TV, won Super Bowl, so on and so forth. Tom Brady had to take a PPP loan. People say, oh, it's great. Tom Brady's played 25 years. Maybe he's had to play 25 years. He had to take a loan out because he didn't have enough money to run his business. A guy who should not, well, I shouldn't say um, should because that's in mind. But as an MBA, somebody who started a restaurant with a thousand dollars, I would say I would prefer for Tom Brady not to have the need to take out a loan during the pandemic. So obviously, there's some self sabotage, some depression. It could be because of the concussions he's had as a football player. I have no idea, no room for judge. But what's say sabotage is very complicated for? Yeah. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that as we close? Yeah. Self-sabotage, I'm glad you brought that up because that's not something that was on my mind in connection with winning, but it it totally is because if you look at uh, how people self-sabotage, it's different, but the two ways we can do it is through poor choices, which we're in control of, choices we make in life, and they accumulate over time. So if you head down a wrong direction with poor choices, it doesn't An intentional poor choice. That you know is wrong. Yes, that you yes. know it's a poor choice. It's not going to lead, but but you're in a funk. You're in a rut. You you feel like no matter what I try, I keep hitting opposition. Right. It's not worth it. I get. I I understand that. I've had people in my family that have gone through depression. I get it. But there's another one that's very subtle, and it's and it's not as clear cut as poor choices because we can see the results right. from poor choices. Right. It's this opportunity is this massive, especially in this country. Opportunity is this massive available option for anyone that wants to pursue it and how you can self-sabotage and not take advantage of this massive opportunity is by comparing yourself to others and tying your happiness to how close you can get to your perception of others' success rather than focusing on all right, what do I want to do with my life? What do I want to achieve? What are some goals and dreams that I have? Because in this country, I have the biggest opportunity, literally, ever. Right, ever. In history, right? 
to achieve those things. How am I going to go about doing that? Self-sabotage in this case would be rather than focusing on the opportunity and your goals and your dreams and keeping those in front of you while you navigate the obstacles and overcome the challenges that's going to happen in life. Right. Rather than do that, you focus on somebody else. You right. are, you, by extension, you know, like parents live the lives through their children. A lot of people, too many people are living their lives through other people and they're tying their success and they're losing out on opportunities, massive opportunities, whether that's massive wealth or massive happiness and fulfillment, doesn't matter. They're missing out on massive success. Again, could be financial or non-financial. They're missing out on that because they are vicariously living through others' lives rather than their own. That's the very deceptive and far more dangerous self-sabotage. And it happens far too often because of the labels that people apply to themselves and get applied to them and because they have the wrong definition for winning at life. Right. And actually, a little close to this, explain this a little bit. Keeping up with the Joneses. Yes. All right. Now, I have these two points that I'd like to know your reaction. First point is, my wife being a successful, um, she take a battery of tests for somebody, a psychotherapist. They work for the Pentagon. She came out as a psychotherapist. And in that test she took 18 years ago has proven to be true. She's natural. And in every once in a while in the newspaper and the news you'll say, couple has been married for 30 years, mm -hmm. right? Husband kills wife, wife kills him. Mm -hmm. How does that happen? And my wife's a psychotherapist is because you never know, no matter how many, how long you've been married to somebody, I don't, you know, you never know what's in that person's mind. So it's it's literally uh, dumb to compare yourself to somebody else because you have no idea how they got there. Yes. Were they like Phil Knight who wrote a, a fake million dollar check? Uh, is it like Jeffrey Epstein that he provides pedophile services to billionaires, including people on top of the royal family? You have no idea. It could be totally different. You have no idea so to compare is uh, from a business and scientific standpoint, a flawed process because you do not have enough information to decide that one yes. versus the other. Now, dynasties, right? Mm. And uh, as a British lip major, I'm a sucker for this, but it's a successful uh, series that came out on PBS and it parlayed into two different movies. And of course, they stole for another concept. But it's this phenomenon the dynasties, no matter how big they are, if they rule half the world, uh, dynasties only last three generations. Three. Mm. Right? So you got Fred Trump, you got Donald Trump, mm -hmm. and his cocaine addict, Donald Trump Jr., is going to succeed. Right? The fact that it's questionable and that 50% of one side thinks one way and 50% thinks other shows that that third generation is flawed because it's a good way to wrap up the podcast because you talked about my definition of success. You know, 15, 30, 40, now 50 has changed greatly yeah. throughout the whole time. 
right? So Downton Abbey, right, really gets to the heart of that. Mm. Why does that third generation, even if it succeeds, it's in jeopardy, it has an 80% chance historically of that person ending up uh, being homeless after they started with a dynasty, mm. right? Mm. It's a lot of gravity, what comes up uh, must come down. So that's why comparing yourself is for And one of the worst stories, uh, and that's why I change when I greet people from, you know, how you're doing, how's it going to, how do you feel? Mm. Let me know. Because I, I was in a wealthy neighborhood one time. And the guy was a successful lawyer with three beautiful kids. And uh, they all had expensive cars, kids went to private school. And uh, one day I was jogging through the neighborhood and a person who barely talks to me stopped me. Hey, stop that. I'm like, oh, what's going on? And it was that the lawyer had committed suicide. Wow. I was like, oh, you know, that's why I always say hi to my neighbors. And some people have a grim face and don't even wave or whatever. I'm always waving, always asking people how they're feeling. Because, you know, GD, I wish I would have talked to the guy, talked about it, told him to watch some of my experiences, how to pull him up. And I've heard that story a couple times. And this is so and so lost the case, and he committed suicide. Wow. Right? You know, and I've seen the opposite too. So, so lost the case, his wife divorced him, it was nasty, divorced, da, da, da. and I've seen the guy rebuild. And then you look at him, and he never thought that that catastrophe happened, right? So, comparing yourself, <laughs> it, keeping up with the Joneses, right? It's, it's nonsense. Something is not common sense, it's nonsense. So, it's nonsense. For you to compare yourself to another person, uh, there's a different genetic makeup, there's different circumstances. And I think key to something I've been harping on a lot personally in the podcast or everywhere else is straight out of the book, probability theory. No matter how sure you are of an event, that's what I would have told this lawyer. Does it, it, a lot of lawyers, doesn't matter how right you are, doesn't matter how much the evidence is on your side. Doesn't matter how logical it is, it only has an 80% chance of being successful. Hmm. There's a 20% chance that it's not, right? And that goes for a long shot. Unless something is mathematically, scientifically impossible, one out of five times, right. you might hit it in uh, like the 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 NRA, not the NRA, but uh, the Irish terrorist group. They oh, asked them, hey, IRA, yeah. Yeah, you failed 20 times trying to blow up the British Parliament. He says, we only have to get lucky once. And there's certain situations where you only have to hit it one time and you, it might fit your definition of success money. So I like your thoughts on that, on, on getting deep into and we'll get more deep into the next podcast and we'll talk about marginal utility, but uh, the different nuances of comparing yourself uh, to the Joneses, right? Deck the Halls is a good movie, too, that talks about that. <laughs> Danny <Yeah>. DeVito. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, it's, it must be part of our human nature right. to compare. And I think our our capitalist economy which i'm so grateful for 
has done a phenomenal job of leveraging that right to where we are primarily a consumer driven economy um, that means that then if we extend that out to people individually break that down to an individual level the vast majority of people around us are consumer driven which is driven by most often keeping up with the joneses right um if you can understand that then that means that it's an uphill challenge for most people to be true to themselves to be open to learning from others that they see as being highly successful if they actually just spent a little bit of time sitting down with someone that they admire and respect and asked about their story asked about what they've learned what did it take to get there uh, i think they would be encouraged i think they'd be enlightened and i think they would be challenged to focus on all right so it wasn't an no such thing as an overnight success everybody knows that uh, well, I can't say that. Everybody doesn't know that. Everybody right. would admit that that's probably true. Okay. But everybody doesn't know that because their actions often reveal that they feel like there's overnight successes. Because if I just try this one thing, the shortcuts you talk about, if I just tried this one thing, or if I just uh, apply this gimmick in my life, or if I just bought this product, or if I just invested in this workshop, that's to be the thing that the tipping point, it'll take, take me to the other, the other side and I'll, things will just take off from there. Because we're so consumer driven, rather than trusting the process, rather than getting good feedback from people that have no skin in the game, if we succeed, uh, those are the things over time that pay off. Those are the investments that pay off. Uh, the overnight successes don't exist. And that's what I think often drives why people compare to others, because they're looking for those shortcuts and they just don't exist. Yeah, and it flies against decision science. Because you do not have enough information to make a valid comparison. Yes, it's all perception. Yes, surface perception at that. Yes. And even, even if you do, right? Right. It's a 20% luck factor. Yeah, right. 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 From pure luck, it's a 20% chance that, uh, you know, it might be as valid as valid, but you're not. Not going to get there. And really, uh, again, I, I can't say this enough because I see it often, right? Uh, salesmen think short-term. Businessmen and women think long-term. Higher-level thinking is uh, long-term thinking, right? Yes. Yes. And, and all successes, whether it be in the stock market, whether it be in business, whether it be in government, politics, you name it. It's always a long-term game. Always. And, and longer than people think. When I say long-term, I don't mean five years. As right. fast as things move and things progress and technology advances, when we're talking long-term, we're still talking decade or more, not within the next couple of years. Yes. Right. Yep. And, and you get to the, we'll close to this as well. Uh, you get to define uh, a real business has 20% cash flow. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's a hobby. But some people are very happy with that. So as long as you're happy, you don't have to have that technical definition, but know that you have one foot in the grave, <laughs> one foot in a uh, banana peel, right? Because anything <laughs> can throw this business off. Right. It's not even a business, it's hobby off. Yeah. That you have me here because you want it, want it to be a business. And then my mom's 
definition of a sin, right? Mm. She says, and she really didn't have all the information, right? Because now I have more information. She says, definition, we'll get your thoughts we'll close to that, and then what's your church help? Uh, definition of sin is knowing something is wrong and consistently doing it. You know something's wrong, you know something's harmful, and you intentionally make the wrong choice to torture yourself, to match your guilt feelings, your depression feelings with uh, the circumstances. Intentionally doing it over and over was her definition of sin. Now I know it's rooted in whatever. Depression, which could be an unresolved event or event, or it could be your brain chemistry. They don't know. My two cents is it's a good uh, idea to find out, <laughs> right? Especially right. if you care about the people around you, find out what it is. But first, before you do anything, is explore the different definitions for yourself. Because now I know that a lot of sin is rooted in depression, right? In lack, like Simone Biles, we can't really judge because we don't know. She was sexually molested by the doctor of Michigan State. And she intentionally, I don't know, right? I'm just saying that we don't know. <laughs> Nobody right. knows, right? right? All the commentators, all the people that are saying that she lacks mental strength. Well, heck, she was raped by a gynecologist when she was a gymnastics and she was in East Lansing. Somebody who was a, uh, uh, a protector. Right. Could that be the reason she's self-sabotaging herself at the Olympics, right? We don't know. We, we have, that's why. Uh, overly judging and comparison is, is not good, right? For right. macro law, yeah. What are your thoughts? When we'll close with that, yeah. So, closing, I'm halfway through a book by John Maxwell called Sometimes You Win, Sometimes <laughs> You Learn. Right, and, uh, I love it. I, I love that book. I've learned so much. Pages of notes, I'm halfway through it. And what I like about that so much is you can focus on the quote unquote loss. Or you can focus on the learning. They right. both were the same occurrence, but it's what label you apply to them. If this is a learning process, that means you will get to what figuring out what works. If this is a losing process, then no matter what you do, you won't get there. Right. You've got to apply the right label in conjunction with wise counsel for people who have no skin in the game to know if you're on the right track. And if you are, then all you need to make sure is I don't repeat the same mistake. Right. I learn from this. And if I make new ones, fantastic. I keep learning. But I will keep learning until I get to the point where I have arrived at the goal I've set for myself. And then it starts all over again. So if you are afraid of right. failing, rather than focusing on learning, then your, your entire life will be marked with trying to avoid that right. and missing out. Or you can focus on what can I learn and apply so that when I figure it out, I can share it with others, just like you did with the restaurant business, so that you can multiply right. your impact and benefit other people's lives. That's what's most rewarding, not right. to the 12th inch, but learning the process so that when someone's coachable and teachable comes to you and says, what should I not do? You can give them a list of things. This is, in my experience, what doesn't work. Start here. And that, I think, is the best definition for winning because it's actually win forward slash win. 
Now you're talking about a whole different level of winning because it's not just about you. It's about others too. But that is for another time. Yes. So yeah, two more parts if you get yes. more into detail. Yes. And I, and I usually close with uh, Winston Churchill will say well, but I think two points that, that are vital, to be honest. Number one is that uh, you have not lost until you admit defeat. True. Right? True. And it's only one thing is winning, right? Winners win, lose, lose. And winners, the most successful people, usually are difference between winning and losing is that the losers usually gave up before the, the winner, right? Yes. And, and, yeah. And, and the other thing is kind of kind of seeing tracking, right? Track everything. Because sometimes you think you've lost, but you won. Sometimes you, you will intentionally sabotage yourself in the near term to win in the long term, right? Yes. You take a loss on yep. an event with a client to keep them long term. A client's net worth 30 million, an event happens, you pay for it because you're making long term money. So you got to be tracking so you can make good decisions as far as that. Mm. But this is a business decision. And John and I agree, even though we haven't talked about it, I know we agree that giving is a business decision because the older you get, you would rather give than get because it ends up being a huge uh, 2,000% multiple. That's why Winston Churchill said, you make a living from your labor. You make a life from what you give. Thank you for listening. Man, I love this podcast. And uh, you guys love it too because you keep telling your friends and more and more downloads happen. Thank you for listening to ESBC Podcast Network.